Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Father, indeed, we pray that you would glorify your name in the teaching and preaching of your word, and Lord, grant us to be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome, everyone. It's a beautiful day outside. Spring is nigh upon us, and this is the fifth Sunday of Lent. It's the, I'm going to use a big word here, it's the penultimate Sunday of Lent. Next Sunday, Palm Sunday, we begin Holy Week, and then we launch into Easter. And today, the scriptures used liturgically are going to do something very specific for us. Today, the scriptures are going to help us pivot. We're going to pivot. We're going to turn, and we see Jesus turn and face squarely with certainty his imminent death. And for you and for me, in this season of Lent, as we get ready for Maundy Thursday right here at 7 p.m., well, where we will remember when Jesus gave that final commandment, a new commandment, Maundy is, is anglicized for mandatum, a commandment, mandatum novum, new commandment I give you, Love one another as I have loved you. We'll celebrate uh, Holy Communion. We'll wash each other's feet. The altar will be stripped and it will be bare and black and prepared for Good Friday at noon where we will walk through the 14 stations of the cross meditating upon the death of Jesus, that supreme act of love. A love that we sing earlier is so high, so deep, so great that it is truly overwhelming. A love that if it was not able to be expressed, think of an alternative history for a second. Those are really popular alternative history novels, etc., movies. If Jesus had not died, if Jesus had not been resurrected, think of what the world would be like. You think it, some parts of it are undesirable now. You think some of it is chaotic now. It would be unlivable. Not to make too much light of it, but has anybody seen Back to the Future Part 2? Do you remember when Biff is in charge of Hill Valley? Everything goes from beautiful and nice and pretty 
to darkness, to the basest parts of our desires, greed, lust. Hey, we'd be right there with Him, wouldn't we? But God, who knows the unruly wills and affections of sinners, is the one who steps to us, who pours Himself out in love in Christ Jesus. And today, we see that we are to pivot from whatever we've been doing, spring breaking, birthday partying, laking, whatever we've been doing, and we are to pivot. And this, my friends, is an invitation for our lives. I'm not saying you can't have fun or be a cool guy or girl. But what I am saying is this is an invitation for us to pivot and look squarely upon the cross. Because the cross, what Jesus will call His glorification, the cross is the moment. The cross is the time and the place and the resurrection. That is the decisive moment of history where we are redeemed. Where this world begins to be saved. And we'll talk about more time words. John uses the word now a lot here. But first, let's just jump in. Today. Today is the day. We're pivoting towards His cross. Next Sunday, we'll remember uh, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We'll walk around the church waving palm branches. And we who are praising Jesus one moment will a few minutes later say, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! in the dramatic reading of the gospel. What a perfect image of how we live. So today we pivot. We look with certainty, steadfastly, on Jesus' death and His resurrection. He announces His judgment on the world. Judgment is coming. The things that we do will be judged. I don't get to decide that You don't get to decide that. It is reality. And Jesus offers an invitation. But not only that is there a judgment, but Jesus says, and when I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Remember that vision we have of Jesus, a a resurrected, victorious Jesus on the cross? What is he doing? He's stretching out his arms of love, as the prayer says that all might come within the reach of His saving embrace. So Jesus is drawing to Himself all people. Yes, even the Greeks. Let's start. Did you hear that back there? Even the Greeks. Verse 23. Now, I want to look at the, the, the use of the word now three times. Okay? I'm excited. Are you all excited? It's okay. You don't have to act like you're excited. I'm not trying to be one of those guys. excited. Verse 23. Well, and it's in verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. But verse 23 is what we're looking. But I want you to notice, what is the feast? It's not Thanksgiving. It's not Hanukkah, though that's part of them. It's not Sukkoth. It's Passover. Remember in John, there are three Passovers. And this is the last one, if you know what I'm saying. We talked about the first one a couple weeks ago. This is the Passover. What happens at the Passover? All the Jews in Israel go up to the holy city. And it's, and it's up, remember? Because it's like the highest city in, Jerusalem, or in uh, Israel. And they're going up to the city to celebrate. Now, even 
among the Jews, there were some Greeks, meaning Gentiles. Not just people that spoke Greek or really like Demosthenes or other you know, Greek things, but these were Gentiles. People who probably lived, if you think about Israel, looking a little bit like New Jersey, and the top half is Galilee. Remember Galilee? That's where St. Bartholomew was from. On the east side of the Sea of Galilee was the place where the Gentiles lived. Remember when Jesus cast out the demon and put him in the swine? And then the swine said, oh, or they ran down into the, the Sea of Galilee. That was not on the Jewish side, because piggy, no kosher. That was on the Gentile side. So parts of that, and I'm sure on the coast, there were all sorts of Gentiles coming into Jerusalem. And these were Gentiles, Greeks, who loved God. Their love of God, their curiosity about Judaism, their seeking out God leads them to Jesus. Again, irony of ironies, the people that have the law, the people that should know better, the people that sit in the seat of Moses are right now in John's Gospel in chapter 12, plotting behind closed doors how they're going to kill Jesus. Now, among those who went up to the feast to worship were some Greeks, and they came to Philip, because Philip was from Bethsaida. Philip's a Greek name, it's Alexander the Great's father's name. But maybe they recognized him from Bethsaida. Because Bethsaida is on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. It's on the right side. So they come to him, but they come to Jesus. Philip and Andrew eventually introduce them to Jesus. And what happens? They said, we want to see Jesus. And so they're presented before Jesus. And does Jesus give them a great lecture? Wow their minds with signs and wonders? Remember what St. Paul said a few weeks ago? Greeks seek wisdom. Jews look for signs. Did Jesus give them wisdom? What does he say? Here's my now. Now. Verse 23. This is, if you've been reading through the Gospel of John and you finally get to this point, you think, oh my gosh, it's finally here. The moment I've been waiting for. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, what does that mean? Aren't you going to tell the Greeks something nice about how you love Gentiles too, Jesus? Aren't you glad that they're converting and becoming like us? Maybe they were getting a nationalistic a fervor like the rest of Jerusalem when you rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Because that precedes this in the passage. But Jesus says, now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what does that tell us? That the kingdom of God is for all nations. That when God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, and he said, all families of the earth will be blessed in you, all ethne, all peoples, all nations, he meant it. And Jesus, who is in the line of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, he says, you Greeks have come to me. Now is the hour. Now is the time. Other things had come to a head. It was the Passover. Jesus by now, now remember, Jesus didn't have like a downloaded brain where like on the Matrix and Neo said, oh, now I know Kung Fu. Jesus communed with the Father. And as his relationship with the Father grew in the Holy Spirit, he learned and things were revealed to him. Yes, he was fully divine and he was fully human as is beautifully displayed in this passage. We'll see his humanity in just a second. But he says now, at this feast of the Passover, 
in this holy city of the Jews, where these Gentile people who are not part of the covenant, St. Paul would say, who don't have the promises, St. Paul would say, who aren't privy to the mystery of the gospel, now that they're seeking me out, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what does that mean for Jesus to be glorified? In the Gospel of John, it means for him to die. His glorification is the cross. How do we know that? Well, look what he says next. Now he gets into some wisdom. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And friends, this is the invitation that Jesus offers us. He's both declaring something that is going to happen prophetically, and he's also issuing an invitation for you and for me and for his disciples and for those Greek, Gentile, uh, Jew proselytes. He is inviting them into a pattern of life of what he'll say in a moment is dying to self. Hating your life in a way, it's hyperbole, so that you may hold on to that which is everlasting. And this is where we ask the question, what if, what if the seed falls to the ground, gets buried, but never dies? Yeah, we could, we could be here and go through the motions. We could wave the palm branches. We could call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus. We could have all the form of godliness, but there would be no power. Friends, Jesus is asking us to pivot and look and behold the power of God and the love of God. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Think about the fruit of his death, resurrection, ascension, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, the spread of Christianity. Yes, bad things happened with that. And may God forgive people who call themselves Christians who have done evil things in the name of Christianity. But the gospel has gone forth. And Jesus, who said, and I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. The fruit of his death is the general order that you see all around us. The fact that you like to have a certain amount of time asleep. The fact that you have a certain rhythm of life. The fact that you do things certain days of the week. There's this built-in rhythm in order. The fact that you have breath at all. Remember, how did Adam and Eve have breath? God didn't pick them up and slap them on the back. What did he do? He breathed life into them. And did you know that our breath is that inherited breath? So we didn't just get bad things from Adam and Eve. <laughs> we also got the breath of life. And in that breath of life, we're asked to make it count for something more than ourselves. We're asked to make it count for something more than what we can amass on this earth. We're invited, what Jesus says, to hate our lives. Now, he's not talking about being a masochist or a self-hating person. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal 
life. The word there is pasuke, the whole of yourself. In this life, we have desires and urges. It's what people that work in marketing, I love you all, that's what they capitalize on to get us to buy stuff. I know, because it was my birthday recently. And about twice a year, I come into dozens of dollars. Dozens. And I think to myself, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with all this money? And what I did this time, I'm being really personal. I hope this is okay. What I did this time was I saved it from Christmas and I added it to my birthday and I had dozens and dozens of dollars. And then I started thinking, okay, what are we going to buy? What am I going to get? And I'm looking around, I'm like, yeah, I can get that, I can get that, oh, man, I can get that. And all the work that God had done in me, maybe we should get a new microphone. <laughs> all the work, I'm so sorry, that wasn't meant to be a shot at anyone, just the microphone in my face. It's my face's fault. It's the way my face is curved. And all the things that God had done in me in Lent, when my, the feast of my birthday came, it just went down the toilet. It was just libertine. You know, I'm not, you know what I mean, libertine. You know, like, oh yeah, and this and that, and let's go to REI, and let's do that, and oh my gosh. And I'm, as I'm reading this passage this week, I'm like, that's what Jesus is talking about. And commentators agree, or maybe I agree with commentators. We can't amass those things or build our lives on those ideas. We have to hate that. John, writer of this gospel, would say in his epistle, if anyone has the love of the world in him, Chris talked about it beautifully last week, how the world, the flesh, and the devil all collude together. But St. John would say, if anyone has the love of the world in him, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, then the love of God is not in him. That is stark. And it's an invitation to us. We're pivoting. We're pivoting. We're looking square at the cross. Because in the stark light and love of the cross, those ancillary things that for a moment pacify our anxieties and soothe our souls, those things quickly fade. Jesus, going to his next now, realizes what he's just said. That the Son of Man must be glorified now. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. We see the humanness of Jesus. Oh, crap, he says. This is for real. The Passover lamb didn't get to roam freely on gentle pastures for the rest of his life. The Passover lamb was slaughtered. Jesus knew that the glorifying of the Son of God meant his death. But he also knew that it was a death offered in love. It wasn't a death, death offered selfishly, like a withholding relative. It was a death offered freely. 
And Jesus would later, in private, in John chapter 15, talking to his disciples, in private he would say, greater man, greater love has no man than this, that one would lay down his life for his friend. Jesus knows that he's about to lay down his life, not only for his friend and friends, Jews and Gentiles, but the entire created order. The creation even has been subjected to futility, St. Paul says, and it's longing for the return of Christ, for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Now is my soul troubled. But Jesus does not waver. He redoubles his commitment. He redoubles his loving obedience. Lest we think obedience is always duty, and yes, sometimes it is, but sometimes we have to do things dutifully out of love. And he redoubles his commitment. He redoubles his obedience. And he says this, Father, save me from this hour? No. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. It's similar to what he'll say in the synoptics. Father, if, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but not what I will, but what you will be done. And lastly, Jesus says the result of this glorification of the Son of God. Now is the judgment of the world. Verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. John would say earlier in John 3.17, after the famous verse that we all learn in BBS, for the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. So please know that Jesus' judgment of the world is, though, yes, a condemnation, the first step in all these thousands of years that have happened since then are an effort to save the world. Lord Jesus Christ, who stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. <clears throat> Judgment comes in, but we're given a moment to say yes to Jesus. Friends, it's not just one choice of many. It's, it's really clear that Jesus has said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. <clears throat> now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Remember what Chris called him last week? The prince of the power of the air? Jesus will be lifted up into the air in order to conquer the prince of the power of the air. When I say lifted up into the air, his crucifixion. He is suspended between the ground and the heavens. And he is lifted up. And guys, I love that. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. In the old litany, it says this, that we may beat down Satan under our feet. Because when we pivot squarely towards the cross, when we, when faced with uh, temptations to waver, 
with temptations to do something else, when we redouble our commitment to obedience to Christ, when we acknowledge and trust God in light of the judgment of the world, Satan will be beat down under our feet. That's awesome. Christianity, yes, I may be wearing a dainty white thing, but it's kind of awesome. Jesus, St. Paul says, is a ransom given for many. In other words, he double-crosses the devil. He conquers death by his death. And as we pivot and look at the cross with certainty and the resurrection, guys, everything that the world can bring at us, and it's only going to get worse, all the chaos and the brokenness will be trampled down by the loving death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will get to participate in it. We will get to beat down Satan under our feet. St. Paul says in Romans 16, remember that old song, Romans 16, 19 says? It's true. So doggone it, why do we struggle so much? Why? Why do we have such a hard time Why do we wallow like little Eeyores in our self-pity, in our misery? Oh, I don't know. You know, just not good at that. And I'm preaching to myself because I do it. I'm high maintenance. I've admitted it this week. I'm the high maintenance one in our family. Guys, we have been saved for so much. The ruler of this world has been conquered. He's running free. He's on a line. But he has been conquered. And so as we walk into Jerusalem, as we process around the church next week, as Jesus walked into Jerusalem to do battle with evil, as he washed his disciples' feet to show what true love is, serving, as he was lifted up to draw all people to himself, in this supreme act of love. It's not, it is for you. And St. Augustine says, it's, he loves you as much as if you were the only person ever to have lived. And that is completely true. And it's part of this huge cosmic thing where God is redeeming a broken and messed up world. Amen? So pivot. Pivot towards the certainty of the, his death and resurrection. Die. Die to the desires to please yourself. Just as he gave himself in loving self-sacrifice, denying himself, so too ought each of us in love give of ourselves. Redouble our commitment to obedience. It hurts at first because it's killing ourself. But remember what I said on Ash Wednesday, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Because judgment is coming, and has come already, but is coming fully and finally in the return of Christ to this world, and God and Christ will beat down Satan under our feet, and in the meantime, the love of God will draw people to himself. Friends, that's why St. Bartholomew's, All Saints East Dallas right now, is here. We are in East Dallas so that Jesus can draw people all across East Dallas to himself so that they may know and love Him and serve Him. Let us pray.
Father in heaven, draw our gaze to you. Forgive us for where we fail. Lord, forgive us for our petty anxieties. And help us pivot this day as we prepare ourselves for Palm Sunday, for Holy Week, for Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Day, but most of all, for this life that you've called us to live. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.